Welcome to the Reason Hope podcast. In this podcast, we explore the intellectual credibility of the Christian faith. We seek to show how the central hope found in Jesus Christ is not only rational, but that the Christian worldview makes sense of our experience, our deepest longings, and our intuitions about the world. Thanks for listening, and we hope today's episode is both encouraging and challenging to you, whether you are a believer or a skeptic. Welcome to today's episode of the Reason Hope Podcast. Thank you for joining me today to think about the questions that matter most. In this podcast, we we do explore uh, the intellectual credibility of the Christian faith. Uh, We talk about um, life's most important questions. We we try to look at objections uh, to Christianity, um, as well as questions about um, how Christian faith relates to culture. So we talk about... uh, quite a number of things on the show. So uh, if this is something that you're interested in, uh, you find this podcast helpful, please tell other people about it uh, who you also might think be interested. Uh, ReasonHopePodcast.com is the website. Uh, If you want to get in contact with me, questions, comments, or anything like that, the email address is ReasonHopePodcast at gmail.com. Now, getting into today's episode, the topic for today is going to be looking at the question surrounding the meaning of life. And the question of life's meaning, I think, when you start thinking about it, is that it is a, it's a question, it's a topic that, that is both deeply profound, but it's also very ordinary. And I think it's, it's profound because it is among the set of questions that are most important. I mean, if, if there's any important questions that we can ask about uh, our existence as human beings, it is what is the the meaning or the purpose uh, to our lives? Why are we here? But it's also a, an ordinary question because I think we live our lives as if the things that we do have some meaning to them. Maybe we don't consciously think about that every day, but we approach our lives g- generally in the things that we do as if... Uh, that they do have some meaning or purpose to them. So in that way, I think meaning in life is something uh, that we take for granted, uh, regardless of what we happen to believe about everything else, regardless of whether you're a Christian or uh, an atheist or a Buddhist or anything else. Now, the other point about the question of life's meaning is that we seem driven to seek meaning in our lives, or some would suggest you know, to, to create it somehow. And I think this is one of the many ways in which uh, human beings are different from animals. Uh, if, if you think about that, animals, they don't reflect on whether their lives have meaning or what is meaningful in their lives. They just, they're just here. Um, they're just alive. They just exist. And they kind of just go about their, their days and responding to external stimuli and things like that, but human beings, we seem driven to to seek after this thing that we call meaning. We we want our lives to have purpose to them, and we see that you know we have interests in different activities and different goals, and uh, people find different things in life that they that they would say are meaningful for them. So humans are different from animals in this aspect. 
Uh, and I think that's going to be important as we as we proceed. Now, I think this this topic, when we ask about the meaning of life, it it surely is a very vast topic. And as I've already said, I think it's worthy of reflection for every person who wants to be uh, thoughtful about their life and who wants to uh, seek after truth and to know what is true. As Aristotle said uh, in his book on metaphysics, he, he, he says, all men by nature desire to know. We, we seek uh, meaning, we seek truth. Um, it, it's sort of built into us as humans. Uh, Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. And so one, one person also said that it is better to be Socrates dissatisfied than a pig satisfied. And uh, so the, all these quotes are communicating the same idea, the pursuit to know whether or not there is meaning to life and what that is, um, is a worthy pursuit. Um, and this is something unique to humans. Now, with that being said, I think when we want to go deeper with this and we want to ask what what is the meaning of life and what are the options on the table for this? And I think there's really, um, seems to me there's only three. And the first would be that one answer is that there is no meaning to life. The second answer would be that we create meaning for our lives somehow. And the third is that our lives have meaning because it is given to us somehow. There might be different ways that that could be cashed out, but those seem to me to exhaust all the options. Uh, maybe there's another one I haven't thought about, but I think you know the answer to this question is either there is no meaning in life, we create meaning for our lives somehow, or three, our lives have meaning because it is given to us somehow. So why don't we jump in and just explore these three options. So the first would be, uh, there is no meaning in life. Now, arguably, I think that this perspective or this answer on the question of life's meaning flows from a worldview that's called nihilism. Nihilism is, it's a perspective that denies all meaning and value in life. And it was given artistic expression in Samuel Beckett's play called Breath. And uh, James Sire describes what Samuel Beckett's play Breath is and how it connects with this idea that life has no meaning. And so uh, Sire says, quote, Beckett's nihilistic art perhaps reached its climax in Breath, a 35-second play that has no human actors. The props consist of a pile of rubbish on the stage, lit by a light that begins to dim, brightens but never fully, and then recedes to dimness. There are no words, only a recorded cry opening the play, an inhaled breath, an exhaled breath, and an identical recorded cry closing the play. For Beckett, life is such a breath. End quote. So, and you, you should really go, if you haven't seen that, you should go look it up on YouTube. Type in Samuel Beckett uh, breath, and y- you will see many uh, examples of this play. And, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's just a pile of junk on the stage, opens with kind of a dim lit light. You have a kind of a, a baby crying that opens the play, and you have an inhaled breath, an exhaled breath that's recorded. 
and then a cry and then the light dims and it's over and it's only 35 seconds. And, and so you can see how if that is what life consists of, then that would express nihilism. You know, there is no point. That's the example of the junk on the stage. Life is just a bundle of, of, of stuff that has no purpose, no meaning. It's just there, and then it's over. So many people would say this. They would agree with Beckett. You know, there's no meaning to life. Now, the key question here is whether or not anyone can live out this idea consistently, and I do not think that that is possible. Nobody can wake up each day and live consistently with the idea that their lives as a whole— as well as each thing that they do, have no meaning. That's just not humanly possible. It's not psychologically possible. No one lives that way. No one is able to live consistently with that. And so when we realize that, if you have a perspective that is unlivable, that is a indication that it is false. Because if something is true, it will be true to human experience, it will be true to our lives, and it will be something that we can live out in our experience. But nihilism is not, uh, is not something that anyone can live consistently with, even if they give lip service to it. Now, I think this is evident in that most, most people who deny God's existence, they do seem compelled to embrace the idea that we create meaning for our lives. And that's really, that's the second answer to this question, or the second possible answer that we could have to this question of life's meaning is that we create meaning for our lives somehow. I'll just mention here that I think nihilism is consistent with atheism, with naturalism. If it's true that we live in a universe that has no meaning or purpose to it, then I think this logically leads to nihilism, which is that there there is no inherent meaning or purpose to human life. But some skeptics disagree with this, and they say, no, the answer is that uh, to, to get beyond nihilism, we have to embrace something called existentialism. Um, existentialism is just another worldview that tries to answer the question of life's meaning and tries to address the uh, human condition that we find ourselves in. So the second answer to the question about life's meaning is that we create meaning for our lives. So as I said, this view arguably flows from a worldview called existentialism. Now, existentialism is a philosophy that has a key principle to it. And if you study anything about existentialism, you are going to come across a guy named Jean-Paul Sartre. And he was, along with Albert Camus, he was one of very influential writers in this perspective. And he defined existentialism in this phrase, existence precedes essence. Now, what he was talking about there was that, like from a Christian perspective, the Bible teaches that human beings are created in the image of God, that we have an inherent uh, purpose to us, that we were designed for a purpose, um, and that there is meaning that flows out of that design. You know, there's a, there's a core at what makes us human that is solid. It's something we can grab onto. It's something that grounds things like human value and purpose. But if, if you're an atheist, as, as Sartre was, uh, and you're trying to answer the question of life's meaning, and you're coming at it from an existentialist perspective, then human beings have no essence. We don't have anything given about us when we come into the world that would help us answer the question of life's meaning. We're just here. 
We got here through biological evolution. We find ourselves in a universe that does not have any inherent meaning or purpose and that ultimately doesn't really care about us. We're just here. So uh, we, we exist first in that way. Human beings come on the scene. And so our existence in this way precedes any sort of essence. We don't arrive here with any kind of essence that makes us human. It's, it's very different from saying that human beings are created with purpose in the image of God. So existence precedes essence. That's the core of existentialism. Now, this is a response to the despair of nihilism, and it's an effort to overcome it. Uh, so if you don't like the idea that life has no inherent meaning or purpose, existentialism is a way to try to have uh, a godless universe, but also to have some sort of meaning or purpose. And I'll, I'll just qualify this and say that, that there's another aspect to existentialism as well uh, called theistic existentialism that is not uh, atheistic, but we won't really get into that here. So what what we're talking about here is atheistic existentialism. So uh, it, this, this says, if there is no God, there is no given human essence or nature. And thus, this would mean humans define themselves. And so that's, of course, going to mean if humans define themselves, then humans create their own purpose and meaning for their lives as well. Now, I think it's fair to say that many people who describe themselves as secular humanists, atheists, or agnostics would probably agree with that perspective. Um, Because it makes sense if you think about it. If a person doesn't believe in God or the supernatural on the one hand, but they also reject nihilism on the other, then this means meaning in life would have to come uh, from human beings somehow. And there's a a very interesting quote from Jean-Paul Sartre uh, that expresses this, and he says, quote, If I've discarded God the Father, there has to be someone to invent values. You've got to take things as they are. Moreover, to say that we invent values means nothing else than this. Life has no meaning a priori. Before you come alive, life is nothing. It's up to you to give it meaning, and value is nothing else but the meaning you choose. And that way, you see, there is a possibility of creating human community, end quote. So you can see how Sartre connects this. The the logical implication, if you reject God, then values, whatever your concept of values are, that has to come from somewhere. And human beings just find themselves on the scene in a universe where there is no God. And so um, life is not going to have any meaning a priori, which means from the start before you have any experience in life. You know, there, there is no meaning a priori. So it's up to you to give it meaning. Value is nothing else but the meaning you choose. So there's, there's that emphasis on the, the, the autonomous individual being able to create meaning for themselves, even though their life as a whole has no meaning that is transcendent. So many people find this uh, a plausible idea. And as I said, it makes sense if you don't believe in God, but you don't accept nihilism, this would seem to be the only other option that you have. And so um, a lot of people sense that their lives are meaningful, maybe in different ways. And so it seems to make sense that they are responsible for creating this somehow. Um, And it seems good enough for most people, at least if you don't think about it too deeply. 
but we need to ask some questions here. So what is the nature of this meaning in life that human beings create for themselves somehow? If each person creates meaning for their own lives, then it's fair to say such a meaning is subjective because the individual, us as individuals, we are creating meaning for our own lives. We don't our lives don't have any meaning a priori. We have to invent this. We have to create it. So that makes it subjective. Now, this is the case even if others agree that my, quote, meaning for my life is meaningful. So in other words, if you choose to pursue a meaningful life in the sense that you want to become a doctor and you want to help people, if you're an atheist and you say, well, the meaning in my life, or at least part of it, is my pursuit in a medical profession where I can help other people. You know, that, that's what gives uh, part of what gives my life meaning each day when I get up. And so other people may agree with this and say, yeah, that, that is a meaningful way to spend your life. But notice how on atheistic existentialism, this is still a subjective choice of the person even if other people besides you can look at your life and they may agree that your life is meaningful in that thing that you chose. So, and this is because on this view, there, there is no reference point for the concept of meaning or purpose outside of the individual person. That is where meaning and value are located in the individual. So the nature of this meaning in life that you get from existentialism, atheistic existentialism, is inherently subjective. So that's really important to understand. Another question to ask here is, how does this creation of meaning happen? So it's it's unclear if this idea of creating meaning for our lives in an atheistic universe is coherent. So you, you can say, how can I, as a finite human being, create meaning for my life in a universe that has no meaning? Um, it's, it's basically an effort to try to create some property or value in a valueless universe. A godless universe does not have the resources to make sense of a person creating meaning for themselves, um, especially if a person is finite. If a person is finite uh, and doesn't, and their life doesn't have any meaning a priori, and you live in a meaningless, purposeless universe, it's fair to ask, how does that even happen? How can you generate that, that kind of meaning in your life? Now, there may be some ways that people could respond to that, um, but I think it's at least a fair question to ask. And the other question here is, why am I driven to create or seek meaning for my life at all? Where does that even come from? It seems that if the universe had no meaning, if life had no purpose, then you wouldn't even be aware of that. You wouldn't even know how, that, that you... Uh, you wouldn't even know to ask that question. You would just exist. You would just be here. But this is another strange thing about human experience is that on atheism, humans arrive on the scene with 
no inherent purpose to their existence. They find themselves in a universe with no inherent meaning or purpose. And yet they still ask about their purpose, and they still seek to create some kind of purpose. Now that is odd in an atheistic universe. It would seem to fit much better uh, to say that we wouldn't even be aware of that concept of meaning. We wouldn't really even hunger to seek something like that. We would just be here, and we would just be doing things. I think those are some good questions to ask. So there's a sense in which we can ask, is that uh, project even coherent to begin with? Now, if we, if we live in a godless universe where there is no design, no purpose, and no objective or transcendent values, then there is no lasting meaning for our lives. And this is a really important point. Lasting, uh, if you want to describe it as lasting, uh, transcendent, objective, that, that's the quality of meaning that is very different from a subjective uh, quality of meaning. A subjective temporal meaning is very different from a lasting or transcendent or objective meaning. So I think this is the quality of meaning that human beings are after. And I think it's revealed especially in how people talk of wanting to do something significant with their lives. They want to contribute somehow, and they want to make a lasting difference. They want to be remembered after they die. But as, as the existentialist Sartre and Camus argued, they said that we live in the face of the absurd, and that, that death is this terrible objective certainty that ends all. And so any any meaning we create for our lives by this subjective affirmation, no matter how passionate, does not survive death. So the idea here is that human beings can come, you know, we, we find ourselves on the scene of a purposeless, godless universe. We find ourselves asking about what the purpose of our existence is and what the meaning for our individual lives is. And we can choose to affirm in the face of that kind of universe that our lives have some kind of a subjective meaning to them. But the point here is that when you reflect upon the kind of meaning that that gives you, all it gives you is something that is subjective. And Sartre and Camus recognized that the, the human desire to create meaning at all, you know, the reason that that's something important to us and the reason that we view death as a as a tragedy as as a great loss is because we are living in the face of a, of an absurd universe you know we we seem to crave this lasting permanence that can't be found here and no matter what we pour ourselves into in this life no matter how subjectively meaningful it may be in the end death ends all and that is this objective certainty about the cold universe that we find ourselves in, that it cancels out any form of, of subjective meaning, no matter how passionately we commit ourselves to it. In the end, death steals all of that away. So this attempt to create meaning for our lives does not survive the reality of death. And this is not only the death of us as individuals, 
Uh, it's the death of the entire human race. It's the death of the universe and of the solar system. Science has shown that if this universe were just to continue on its own with the uh, finite amount of energy that it has, one day it's going to burn out. You know, our solar system is going to burn out, and when that happens, humanity will will die along with it, if not way before that happens. And so that is the end. It's not just the death of the individual. It's the death of everybody. It's, it's the death of uh, the human race. It's the extinction of our solar system. That, that is the end that atheism leads to. And so existentialists like Sartre and Camus see that. They compare that to uh, these attempts to, to have subjective meaning in life, and they say, this is why life is absurd. Because on the one hand, we crave meaning, we crave purpose, and yet on the other hand, we are faced with a cold universe that doesn't care and that has no inherent meaning or purpose. And that one day, everybody uh, that we know, everybody we love, everybody we've impacted or devoted ourselves to will die, and no one will ultimately remember us. And so in the face of that kind of universe and the tension we experience between a desire to have and create meaning, that's the tension that we live in, and that's why they, they said life is absurd in this way. So that's a really important point to get. And Bertrand Russell, who was an atheist, uh, he has a really, I think, telling quote about these things. And uh, he says this, quote, that man is the product of causes which had no provision of the end they were achieving, that his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms, that no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave, that all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system, and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. All these things, if not quite beyond dispute, are yet so nearly certain that no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. Only within the scaffolding of these truths only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. End quote. Now that quote, that reflection by Bertrand Russell is, is, is very uh, telling. This is someone who's an atheist, who is committed to the idea that God does not exist, that he understands that based on his worldview, that where human beings came from is that we came from a, a accidental process. You know, we're nothing but matter. There wasn't anything about our evolutionary development or the evolutionary development of the universe that had any end in mind of having beings like us be the outcome. And certainly, if we came from a process that has no inherent design or purpose, then of course this means we ourselves have no inherent design or purpose. That There's no ultimate reason why we're here. And so everything within that context that we care about, that we devote ourselves to, there is nothing in that that is ultimately meaningful because of where we came from and because of 
what the ultimate fate of all of us is. And, and he says, you know, that's, that's not only the individual life that ends, but it is the universe itself uh, that comes to an end. And so he says, this leads you to a place of despair. He says, only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built? So Russell recognized the implications of his worldview for the question of life's meaning. He understood how to connect the dots on this, and that is ultimately an expression of nihilism. And it's pushing back against the idea that it is a uh, sufficient answer ultimately, or a coherent answer ultimately, to say, that we can create our own meaning. Now, some atheists, of course, are not going to agree with this. Some have a different perspective and argue that the temporary nature of life, the fact that we are mortal beings, this is actually what gives our lives meaning. So, for example, some offer the example of a novel. A novel is a story it's written by an author. It has meaning because uh, the, the story has a beginning, it has a climax, it has a plot to it where there's a, a problem, there's a challenge or something to overcome, and then it has an ending where hopefully the resolution to the problem is achieved and it's a satisfying ending. You could say the same thing goes for a class or a course of study that you undertake. If you think about going to college, you know, you have three, four years. Going into college, you know that this is for a um, several-year period of your life. You're going to devote yourself to uh, study, a course of study of some kind, and you know that you've had that goal of graduating, that it's going to come to an end. And so the, the whole time that you're in college, that you're working hard to study, and you're, you're thinking about that goal of reaching the finish line. And the purpose that you have for going into college in the first place, to get a, a degree in something, to get a job, or to open up other opportunities. Uh, you can also think about a sports game, whether this is football, basketball, soccer. The game has a beginning and an ending, and both teams are working towards the goal of winning, and there's a challenge involved there. And so some skeptics will uh, say that this is similar to how life is. Life has a beginning, life has an end, and in a certain sense, the fact that life has an end is what gives it meaning in the first place. They would say if life just continued on and on and on and on, this would end up being tedious. It would end up being meaningless. And so the fact that life does have an end, this is what motivates us to to not, quote, waste our lives, you know, to devote ourselves to things, to uh, be productive and things like that. Julian Begini is an atheist who has this perspective, and he wrote in one of his books, uh, quote, Death thus occupies a crucial role in the atheist worldview. If we pretend or imagine that life's purpose lies outside life itself, we will be searching the stars for what is underneath our feet all the time. It is the final full stop that makes life meaningful. The curtain falling on Othello does not ruin the play. It's a necessary condition for it being any good in the first place. But that does not mean that when death comes, it is not a cause for regret or sadness, especially when it comes too soon. We may regret death while at the same time knowing that its inevitability 
is what makes life so valuable. Life can be worth living in itself, even in difficult times, and there is no need for it to serve any other purpose. End quote. Now, there's a lot in that quote, uh, but I think a couple things that we could say. I think there is some truth to the idea that some things derive meaning, uh, at least some of their meaning, from the fact that they are temporal or that they have uh, a beginning and an end, that they don't just keep going on and on and on. But I think we have to ask, is it really true that temporality is the only property that gives these things meaning, such as a, a play, a sports event, or a course of study? Can we say that the, the only meaning to be found or the main meaning to be found in these things is the fact that they have an end? And I, w- I don't think so. I would argue that the examples mentioned here are they're meaningful activities for many more reasons besides the fact that they come to a point of completion. So if temporality is not the only property that gives these things meaning, why should we think this is true of life as a whole? I think that's a really significant point. I mean, you, you go to a play or you read a novel, and that play or novel is a meaningful story to you for many other reasons besides the fact that it comes to an end. That may be part of the meaning because uh, if it comes to a, a, a satisfying ending, well, there, there is something satisfying about that. And of course, um, nobody would want to go to a novel or, or nobody would want to go to a play or read a novel that just kept going on and on and on and on. Uh, certainly that's true. But the meaning that is found in a story or a play like that is found in things like the character development. It's found in the um, maybe the moral truths that the story teaches. Uh, it's, it's found in an enjoyment of artistic creativity, uh, if you have the ability to appreciate that. So, and, and the same thing can be said about school. You know, School is not just meaningful because it comes to an end learning, uh, growing as a person, uh, the, the friendships that you make during your time in school, and just ma- many other things that you can think about. Um, these other aspects of these activities are a part of why they're meaningful. It's not just because they come to an end. So I think this idea that it's, it's just about the ending, if it cheapens ordinary things like uh, a novel and school and things like that, then certainly to say that the thing that makes life itself valuable is the fact that it is temporal um, or the fact that humans die, that we don't just keep on living, at least from an atheistic perspective. I think this cheapens human life as a whole. Um, I think it reduces it to something that ultimately it's, it's, uh, it's not. So I think that's the first point. Uh, now, a second point that can be made here is that there is an analogy being drawn between various activities of life, Uh, like we already mentioned, reading a novel, school, sports. There's an analogy being drawn between those things and human life as a whole, like a person's lifespan. And I think a person's life and a given activity in life are qualitatively different things. When we engage in in sports or, uh, or school or we read a novel, we expect these things to come to an end because this ending is, is built into part of what is their purpose since they culminate in a certain kind of goal. 
as I said, you know, you go to school because part of the goal of that is to graduate. Um, if you play sports, you know, you you engage in a soccer game because part of the goal is to win. So these types of things, we approach them expecting there to be an end. We approach them choosing that they will have an end to them. But on atheism, there is no transcendent meaning or purpose in the universe. Humans find themselves as mortal beings in this purposeless universe. And while life does come to an end in death, this ending itself is not meaningful in the same way as something like a sports match. You know, but on an atheistic perspective, the result with this is that we have to make the best of the mortal lives that we have. That's the conclusion that you come to. But this conclusion is far different from saying that death itself is what makes life meaningful. That's another claim. So humans choose to have an ending to a sports match and and novel, reading a novel and a course of study. But we don't choose to be mortal beings whose lives come to an end. Um, And I think that's a big difference here is that, to me, this is an example of rationalizing away the tragedy of death by comparing it to things which are not even on the same qualitative level. Activities in life, like a play, novel, school, we expect these things to come to an end. We choose that they come to an end. And there's a certain understandable uh, reality that with these kinds of things, if they just kept going on and on and on, it would get tedious and it would seem to be, okay, what's the, what's the ultimate goal here? But those things, the point is that those things are not analogous to human life in the way that they need to be for this kind of argument to go through. So I, I think this is an important point. Can we really say that when we experience the ending of a play or we get to the end of a novel or when a sports match that we're watching comes to an end, that this is the same kind of experience that we have as when we lose a loved one, someone in our family or someone that we really care about. And how about when we think about our own death, our own mortality? And I think... You just need to sit with that question to realize that our experience of death in these ways is that we, we sense a great tragedy and a great loss. And this is why people mourn when they lose loved ones. Yes, there's a, there's a celebration of the life that was lived, of course, but it's a deep grief when you lose someone that you love. We experience death as a great loss. We experience death as a great tragedy. Um, It's even why Beginney himself in his book talks about how atheists have to live with this, this, uh, this tension. You know, if if they adopt this perspective, they have to live with this tension of realizing that um, thinking about our mortality can be distressing and that there's a sense in which death can come too soon and that our lives seem to be flying by way too quickly. And, if atheism is true, death is just what it is. I mean, there's no—you can't really say death came too soon, because who says? We, we live in a universe where that just happens, you know? People die. You can't say that there's any rhyme or reason to it. Um, and it's really not a, a tragedy on atheism. It's just how the world is. But our experience of death, it's not only that the way this is 
uh, cashed out has some problems. It's that our experience, the human experience of death, does not match up to this analogy that Begani and other skeptics provide. We don't experience the death of our loved ones uh, as if it's the end of a sports match or something like that. And many skeptics would probably respond back and say, well, that's not what they would say either. But the logic of this, uh, that's what it leads to. You're saying that the meaning in life is found in the fact that it ends and that we can look to other examples of things in life where this is the case. And so there's no problem thinking this way about our lives as a whole. But I think there are big problems with it. And some of this is just reflecting upon the nature of the human experience with death. And and I, I just don't think this... I don't think the human experience matches this analogy here, and I think the the analogy really does break down. I do think that a view like Beguini's is probably the best that atheism can provide when it comes to how we think about meaning and human mortality. I do think that it is an example of rationalizing away something that is really a great tragedy and a great loss, and uh, as I'll talk about, as a, a great enemy that we face is is death. I also think how somebody perceives of the afterlife or uh, what would be the alternative to death, you know, something like eternal life, I think that also factors in here. Many people have the idea that if if life just were to continue and to continue and to continue and to continue, that it would be purposeless and that we would get tired of uh, existing and, and that there's a sense in which if life was endless, it would be meaningless. But I think that has a lot to do with how you perceive of what eternal life is. And as I'll talk about, a Christian understanding of eternal life is so far from that idea. So another piece of this is, what is your understanding of eternal life? Is it just a continued existence of the same old, same old? Or is there a qualitative difference in our experience and our existence. And I'll talk about that more uh, because the answer is is yes, at least from a Christian perspective. I also would say that contrary to a view like Beguini's, there are many atheists who, who do see the nihilistic implications of their atheism, as I already quoted Bertrand Russell, and there's many more as well. Beguini's position is basically an expression of atheistic existentialism, which is what we've been looking at. And I've kind of already argued that this view fails to transcend nihilism. You you don't really escape nihilism with this view. It's an attempt to do so, but it doesn't really get you there. So um, overall, I, I just don't think this is... I, I think it's probably the best that atheism can do, but I think it, it has a number of problems. And I think one one final point about this idea that we can create our own meaning, is that how do you judge between different ideas of what meaning in life is? Uh, This is going to be similar to the problem with subjective views on morality. If one person says that living a totally self-centered life is meaningful for them, and another says that living for the good of others is meaningful for them, how do we judge between the two? Um, how how can you say that um, that it would be that it wouldn't be meaningful or that it wouldn't be moral 
for someone to say that the meaning of their life is to get whatever they want, whenever they want, regardless of um, how it affects other people. Um, On this view, if meaning in life is something that is passionately chosen by the individual, as atheistic existentialism says, then there is no way to there's no way to call that uh, an immoral life or there's no way to make a distinction between the two you can't really say that that person is not living a meaningful life they have chosen um, something that they find meaningful living solely for themselves and if they want to live that way there's nothing that you can really say about it to uh, make it not meaningful because they have chosen it and that's what that's where the um, that's the source of meaning on this worldview. And so I think we have to ask if we're faced with two alternatives like that, living for yourself or living for the good of others, do we really believe that these are equal simply based on a person's subjective choice? And I think the answer is no. We intuitively recognize that a person living solely for themselves without regard for others, uh, that's not a good way to live. That is, in a real sense, wasting your life. And to devote your life to the good of other people, um, that is a right way to live. That's a very meaningful way to live. So I think this is another problem with locating meaning in the individual's choice, is that people can make different choices. And if that is the only place that meaning is found, you really can't judge between them. You You can't discern between them in the ways that I think we're aware that we already do. And so that's another clue that this is not a good way to think about uh, meaning and purpose in our lives. Um, Because if you are consistent with that view, then it leads to these kinds of problems. Now, the third answer to this question. So we've looked at the question of life's meaning overall. And the first answer was that life doesn't have any meaning. The second answer was that we create meaning for ourselves somehow. The third answer is going to be our lives have meaning because it is given to us somehow. Now, this view says that meaning in life is given to human beings from a source outside of themselves. So, an important point to get about this, I've been talking a lot about how there are problems with locating the meaning and purpose of your life in in totally subjective things, like things that you find purposeful and meaningful. Now, this third view, to say that our lives have meaning because it is given to us somehow, is not to say that we do not find um, subjectively, in our experience, meaningful things. So, uh, it's not as if you go against the existentialist idea that existence precedes essence by saying that um, essence precedes existence. That doesn't mean that there's nothing in our subjective experience that we find meaningful. But it does mean that humans have a given nature or essence and that there is a purpose for our lives. There is a purpose for why we're here. Um, It's not just totally up to us to create ourselves and to define ourselves. Um, That's a very different view. And I think this fits well with theism generically, you know, the idea that there is a God. I think it fits well with Christian theism in particular. It fits well with the worldview of the Bible. 
uh, Christian theism claims that certain features of reality, like values, are transcendent and objective. So meaning in life would be a transcendent value that has its origins in God himself and his good design for human beings. Now, it's, it's important to pause here and make uh, an important clarification. Some skeptics argue that if you locate the meaning and purpose for human life uh, in a source outside of human beings, then this means by necessity that that purpose is disconnected from human beings. This is actually the way Julian Beginney uh, argues and as, as he's responding to um, the idea that, that God gives human life meaning. And he basically says, um, if the meaning and purpose for human life comes from God, then this basically means we are living for another's purpose. And this uh, cheapens human life. You know, it, it sucks real meaning away from humans because we end up living for the uh, purpose of another and it contributes to kind of this slave morality, you know, that we're just kind of living for the will of someone else, and we have no will of our own, and uh, it, it it gives the picture like God is this dictator who, who wants people to march in line with what he wants, and people aren't allowed to flourish as individuals. And so some skeptics like Beguini have uh, characterized the idea that our lives have meaning because God gives it to us in this way. And this is just a woefully inaccurate picture of what the the Bible talks about. And the chief reason is that it is based on a false dichotomy. To say that uh, the meaning and purpose for human life is given to us by God is not to say that this meaning and purpose is disconnected from our flourishing and our interests and our desires. Far from it. So that's an important clarification uh, before we continue here. So uh, as I said, on this view, the idea that God gives our lives meaning and purpose, that God grounds that meaning and purpose for humans, uh, it means that meaning has both subjective and objective elements. So subjectively, we as individuals may find particular activities, experiences, achievements, and goals to be meaningful for ourselves, even though some of these may not be as meaningful for others. So this is just stating that one person may, they want to devote their career to being a doctor because they want to help other people. And that's that's a way that they want to spend their life. You know, they want to help other people. They want to help other people heal and to flourish uh, physically in that way. Now, another person may want to be someone who helps people to learn and to grow in a, in a school setting or something like that. And they may not find the kind of meaning in being a doctor for themselves personally as someone else. But this is just to make the point that people are going to find different things that they want to devote their lives to, and, and they may f- find them meaningful and enjoyable, and they will be able to set certain goals, and they'll find satisfaction in achieving those goals. So none of that is uh, foreign to the idea that God gives human beings their purpose and their meaning. And that's really important to understand. 
So that's the subjective side of this. The objective side of this is that we seem to recognize that regardless of what people may think, there are trajectories of life. There are ways that you could spend your life that are not meaningful. And uh, this is revealed when we use language like, he's wasting his life, or that's wrong. If we see someone spending their life a certain way, that's wrong. Um, so some examples that that you could say of, of this, what if someone just laid in bed all day and did nothing to better themselves or to help others? Or what about someone who is addicted to drugs and they, they've just reached a point where they're content with that way of life and they've kind of given up and they just think that's never going to change. So they're just content to be on the streets, uh, streets as a drug addict. Or what about someone who pretends to be homeless so they can take money from people? So they're not really homeless. They're just doing this to basically steal from others. Or what about a serial rapist who claims he finds meaning and pleasure in his crimes? Now, obviously, reasonable people are going to look at lives like that and say, yeah, that's wrong or that's a waste. Uh, Why would you want to settle for uh, being addicted to drugs or why would you want to lay in bed all day now there's complexities with drug addiction and all that but the point stands is that these are ways that people can be on a trajectory with their life that we would say that is a waste that's or that's wrong and so that's the objective side of this we can recognize there are objectively meaningful ways to live and there are objectively not meaningful ways to live or not good ways to live. Now, it's important to see that the view that says meaning in life is given to us by God makes sense of both of these elements. So we can have meaningful experiences subjectively because God is good and he's provided all good things for us to enjoy. Uh, all people partake in this every single day. The Jesus talked about how God uh, God provides for people in a general sense, you know, through the rain and things like that. You know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust is what he says. And the imagery there is that God, God provides uh, for human beings. And, you know, th- th- this is not due to the fact that some people are better than others. It's that God is generally, he is benevolent to his creation and he provides. And so every good thing that we experience in life, whether we're a believer in God or not, comes from Him. And apart from Him, we don't have anything that is ultimately good. Uh, Psalm 16 talks about that. So the other part of this is that we recognize that, that not all claims of meaning in life are right, because this universe and human beings have a purpose, and that we live in a designed universe with an ultimate goal. So these are the two aspects of this last answer to the question of life's meaning. Uh, God uh, has created human beings in his image. We are here for a purpose. And this makes sense of both the subjective side of meaning in life and the objective side. And as a whole, um, a meaningful universe where there's a God who's created it in contrast to a meaningless universe where there is no God Uh, A meaningful universe makes sense of our drive to seek meaning at all. So in contrast to a meaningless universe, 
a universe where God exists is a rich context for a meaning, meaningful and purposeful life. And the two reasons for this is that, I mean, there's, there's more you could say, but one is God is good. And two, God has created human beings in his image, and he has endowed us with a purpose in his creation. And I, I think we're driven to ask about the meaning of life and to seek after some kind of permanent meaning, because God has wired us for this. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes talks about how God has put eternity into the human heart. And that, that by itself is really a whole nother uh, argument for the existence of God that I hope to cover um, in another episode. It's called The Argument from Desire, and I think it's a really interesting argument uh, that gets, gets you thinking about another aspect to this question, about this, this hunger we have for something permanent. Um, but overall, if a meaningful universe exists where there's a good God who's created it, and he's created human beings for a purpose, for relationship with himself, for uh, flourishing in relationship with himself. Those two things aren't opposed to each other. Then this makes much more sense of our drive to seek meaning and to ask about what it is, much more so than an atheistic universe. Now, another aspect to this is that from a Christian perspective, death is the great enemy that steals away life. But God has provided victory over death for those who trust in Jesus Christ. And I, I think in a very real sense, subjective affirmations of a meaningful life are ultimately canceled out by the reality of death. Um, and I think this includes the death of the individual and the death of the universe, the extinction of the human race. Uh, we can put forth... Uh, passionate commitments of subjective affirmations of meaning. And it's not that those aren't, they don't have a sense of meaning to them. It's that it's not lasting. It's not what we're really after. It's not adequate. And so there's passages in the Bible that, that, that speak to these things. And one of them is, is uh, from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. And this is what it says. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. So that passage is speaking to uh, that death is a reality, that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has destroyed the power of death, that there, that there is a real Satan, and Satan holds the power of death. Satan keeps people chained in the fear of death, but Jesus comes to set people free from that, uh, set them free from slavery to sin, set them free from slavery to uh, the fear of death as well, that, that Jesus, in his death and resurrection, has changed everything um, that he has overcome the grave. First Peter chapter one verses three through five says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you." 
You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So there in 1 Peter, um, it's through Jesus that, that people can have this living hope through his resurrection, that uh, we have this uh, wonderful hope of eternal life uh, that can never be taken away, that, that, that we're not held captive by death, that death is not the end, that we are made spiritually alive in Jesus. We've been made new. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58, Paul says this, What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So Paul says a lot there, but the main thing to get now is that he he says that uh, through Jesus, Christians have victory over death, that the power of death has been defeated, that we have victory in Jesus Christ by trusting in him and what he's done for us, and that we can live this life with great purpose, uh, serving God, being devoted to him, and pointing others to him, because we know that our labor is not in vain. And the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes is just very very fascinating and, and takes up this question of life's meaning. Um, and its ultimate message is that apart from God, earthly pursuits leave us with dead ends, whether we're devoting ourselves to uh, pleasure, uh, fame, power, uh, wisdom or knowledge, uh, you know, success in whatever form, wealth, if we are devoting our lives to these things, ultimately they're, they're dead ends. They don't give us what we ultimately hope that they will. It's why we're always seeking more and more and more. And it's why we have that nagging sense of, uh, of, of, of lack. And um, it's why a lot of people uh, try to distract themselves from these questions. But um, we spend our lives striving after this meaning and satisfaction that is for some reason always beyond our grasp. And when we face we face the reality of death uh, with no hope apart from God. Um, so the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, basically he takes up this experiment where he acts as if there is no God, and then he proceeds to pursue meaning in life, and he devotes himself to all these things. And ultimately his conclusion is that all is hevel. It's like the smoke that you try to grasp at, and you can't really grasp onto it. You can't hold on to a vapor or to smoke, and the moment that you see it, it's gone. And so it's this 
poetic image of striving after something that you don't ultimately find. And um, some of this is just reflecting upon the nature of human experience. And so um, can we say that this proves Christianity, reflecting on the question of the meaning of life? And I would say it really does depend on what a person means by prove. Um, as I've stated before in other episodes, when you're thinking about questions like this, you don't have a mathematical proof. You know, in math, 2 plus 2 is 4. It's, it's axiomatic. Um, you, you just see the truth of it. Um, but questions about meaning in life, uh, philosophical questions, are, are not like mathematics. So there's no one argument that's going to convince everybody— there's not a mathematical proof um, for any of these questions, whether it's for atheism or Christianity or something else. But I think what what this does, taking time to reflect upon the question of life's meaning and what the different answers are or what the different alternatives are, is that I think it shows that the Christian perspective on the meaning of life arguably makes better sense of our drive to affirm and to seek meaning and value for our lives than other alternatives, uh, such as atheism. Uh, Christianity says the universe is meaningful and good because it has its origins in a good God who endowed it with design and purpose, including human beings. So our drive to even ask the question about meaning and to seek it makes sense in this kind of universe, and I would argue it doesn't make sense in a godless universe. Christianity teaches that Jesus Christ has defeated sin and death in his own death and resurrection, and that sin and death are our greatest enemies. They're not something to be rationalized away. Uh, they, They are true enemies, which is why we react to death the way that we do. Um, And thus, those who trust in Jesus will receive a spiritual rebirth, which ultimately leads to eternal life. And it infuses our lives now with uh, meaning, with a, a, a transcendent meaning. And no one can consistently live out the belief that life has no meaning, nihilism. People can give lip service to this, but then you'll find them living as if their lives do have meaning in many aspects. So, um, and then finally, the, the effort to create one's own meaning in life faces a number of problems. So this seems an odd thing to do in a meaningless universe. Why would we even need to create meaning for ourselves in a meaningless universe? It seems that we wouldn't even be aware uh, that there was such a thing as meaning to begin with. Uh, when meaning is purely subjective, there's no way to judge between different choices of meaning and value for life. And even though we recognize certain life trajectories are more meaningful than others. So our sense of that betrays the idea that meaning is, is just about a subjective uh, choice. And meaning when meaning is located in a subjective choice and it doesn't have a transcendent foundation, it is canceled out by the reality of death, both of the individual and the universe. And how somebody perceives of the alternative like I said earlier, of one alternative is that human life ends at the grave. 
And the other alternative is that human life continues beyond the grave in some form of afterlife. Now, how somebody thinks about the afterlife, whatever their concept of that is, will greatly affect how they think about the plausibility of the alternative, which is that life ends at the grave. You know, there, that's a whole other discussion. There's a lot that goes into that. But I think a lot of skeptics think about the Christian idea of eternal life as just a continued existence of something just like this. You know, it's just, it's thinking as if the idea of eternal life is just more of this, more of an earthly life uh, and all the things contained within it that just goes on and on and on and on. And of course, if that was the case, I could understand the, the skeptical viewpoint more. But the reality is that the Christian perspective on eternal life is nothing of the sort. Christianity says that human beings were made for relationship with a good God and that this relationship is deeply connected uh, with our flourishing as both individual people and uh, corporately as humans. That There is something about how God has designed us that means that when we are living in relationship with Him, walking with Him, that we are flourishing to the highest degree. So it's not as if our uh, living for God is somehow this slavish morality, like some skeptics say, or that God is some tyrant who just wants us to do His will. A, A Christian understanding of this is that Uh, There is not a division between God's purpose for our lives, relationship with God, and our flourishing and our joy. The Bible teaches that all those things are connected and that the reality is that it is life apart from God. It is when we um, fight against God, is when we ignore God, it's when we disobey God, that that is the place that leads us uh, to to not be flourishing. That's the place that does not lead to ultimate joy. So that's really important to understand. If we want to consider the alternatives here, then it's important to understand what the, the Christian idea of eternal life is uh, as compared to something like an atheistic view, which says that life ends at the grave, and then tries to construct a, an, an answer to the question of life's meaning solely on that basis. Now, I think... This whole discussion just helpfully sets up the alternatives here. It shows you what the logical implications are of your worldview. If you are an atheist, here's what it means for life's meaning. If you are a Christian, here is what it means for the, the, the uh, question of life's meaning. And so uh, it, you know, it's up to each person to, to think about this question, to think about the alternatives, and to come to their own conclusion uh, but but as I said, I think that a, a Christian perspective on this question makes far better sense of what we seek and what we kind of naturally are after when we think about the question of life's meaning and the reality of death. So thank you for listening to today's episode, um, and remember that there is reason for hope in Jesus Christ.